When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Alan White Plains, and this is New Report, Old Report. Here on Tuesday, December 3rd from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show's bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at LondonBridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437, or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same And we'll play what you have to say on air again by calling 929-274-3437. This week, the Ravens, actually good. And when the dust settles after conference championship games are played this weekend, who is remaining in the college football playoff final four? Check your sources, we're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that was a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Or we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The NFL season continues to spin its wheels. We have more answers in college football as we approach championship conference weekend. We've got NBA excitement that no one's really interested in yet because as we say all the time nobody circles the wagons quite like the national football league and we've been searching on this show for the great teams in the national football league who's good consistently who's somebody that you can hang your hat on and say they're all right they're gonna make a deep run they can be trusted we've had trouble this year figuring out those teams there's only been one, two, three, it's, it's been rough because one week a team is great and then the next week they lose to a bum. I'll tell you though, your Baltimore Ravens, I think are number one on that list. I think we finally have a valid, true answer to who's good and it's the Baltimore Ravens. What's going on with your Ravens now? Tearing it up. Well, first of all, Johnny, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your beautiful girlfriend and all our fans out there enjoyed a warm holiday weekend. And I think one of the most underrated sports weekends because you have all the college football intrastate rivalries, uh, some of which were very good, one of which was great, and others of which weren't very good. But regardless, that's a great uh, feast, uh, no pun intended, for Thanksgiving weekend. And you had some... Uh, terrific pro games, uh, none of which were on Thanksgiving. Uh, And you had, as you mentioned, in a battle of the Titans, the 10-1 San Francisco 49ers came a-calling in a slop fest in Baltimore to take on my Ravens at 9-2. Somebody's got to give there. It did in a very hard-fought physical football game. Good old-fashioned 
smash mouth style. Not a lot of offense. Not a lot of throwing the ball. The Ravens did just enough, just enough in the rain and the wind to leave it in the hands and trusty right foot of, in my mind, and I go way back to Jan Stenerman from the Kansas City Chiefs, who I thought was the greatest place kicker I ever saw. Because to me, to be great, you got to do it inside and outside, especially outside. And Justin Tucker done and did it again. Uh, at the gun, in the rain, in the wind, uh, knocked it through from 49 yards. Uh, I believe 49, even 47. And the Ravens walk off with a 20 to 17 win to go to 10 and 2 and take over the one seed in the AFC as the Pats uh, went into Houston and in a game that uh, they were handled pretty easily, but the score got close at the end, a couple of touchdowns, uh, recovered some onside kicks by Ravens. Uh, despite the fact that they weren't great yesterday and they got run on quite a bit by Ravens are now the number one seed in the AFC at 10 and two. They are not a great team, but they're absolutely positively a very, very good team because they excel on all sides of the ball. They run it. They throw it. The mercurial quarterback was relatively quiet yesterday, despite the fact he rushed for 100 yards again. The defense was not great, but it was good enough. They got run on uh, quite a bit. They did get not get thrown on at all, but they did get run on uh, more than I would like. But they came up with some big stops, most notably a fourth down stop on fourth and one. Uh, at their own 35-yard line, and on that stop, after they took the ball back, they did not turn it back over to the San Francisco 49ers. They took that ball, and the last seven minutes of the game, they went a whopping, all right, approximately 35 yards in seven minutes of clock time uh, to run it all the way down because the Niners had spent a couple timeouts, so they only had one left, they weren't able to kill the clock and save time for themselves. And the Ravens just did what they did best. They pounded and they pounded and they pounded on the ground a couple of timely throws. They ran it all the way down to three seconds. And the greatest kicker alive knocked it through for yet another win. And that's a great thing to see if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan. What Lamar Jackson was able to do, not just throughout the whole game, but in that last drive. Very Russell Wilson-esque, Aaron Rodgers-esque, Tom Brady-esque. Milk down the clock, kill all the time, make sure they don't get the ball back, and you have the fortunate opportunity to put the hands in probably the best kicker in NFL history. Never a doubt. In a terrible weathered game, rain all afternoon, you're going up against a great defense, but that's a game where if you're a Ravens fan, you smile because while Lamar Jackson wasn't great throwing the football, he made up for it with his legs, something that like a baseball player might do. You don't have it at the plate. Well, you make up for it with your defense. Make sure that's strong. They took away the passing game. All right, I'll run. And then at the end of the game, make sure they don't get the ball back. It was a great win. And Fortunately for them, now you're getting to the point in the season where obviously you want to keep the number one seed, 
Might need help along the way, but you can do what you can now with, I don't want to say an easy schedule, but it's not incredibly daunting. Now you're to the point where, number one, stay healthy. (laughs) Stay healthy, especially at the quarterback position. Lamar Jackson does a great job of making sure he doesn't take these brutal hits. Whether he's in the pocket or whether he's running, he's able to avoid the, oh God, tackles and hits and goes down, throws it away, does what he can do to keep his body safe. So health is obviously number one. And now number two, you've got four winnable games to end the season at Buffalo. Not easy, obviously. Tough game. Now they're in a predicament where... Very very tough game. They're not even out of the AFC East. That's a tough game. The Jets and Browns at home is what you like to see. And Pittsburgh at home to close the season with someone with the nickname Duck. So again, not easy games. All three of those are at home, correct? They're all at home. So not easy games, but again, not daunting games to close out the season four games before the postseason. If you're a Ravens fan, you have to at least be pleased, not only with what you saw Sunday against the 49ers, but now what you have on the horizon for the next four, you got to be feeling pretty good about that. Well, look at look at the schedule the Ravens have played. I mean, they lost to Kansas City. Very good team. And now, now back in the fold again, uh, playing well and healthy. Clearly a Super Bowl legitimate Super Bowl contender, uh, a lot of people's preseason pick to win the Super Bowl. They destroyed New England at home. They annihilated Houston. They completely embarrassed the Rams uh, in in Los Angeles. And then they go and beat the Niners. Those are all games outside of their division, which we thought was going to be a tougher division, and it's turned out not to be because – you know, although Pittsburgh is probably where a lot of people thought they were going to be, but not the way they thought they were going to get there. The Browns, after a nice little run, lose that game yesterday in Pittsburgh. Uh, so instead of both teams being six and six, it's five and seven and seven and five. And the Bengals are what the Bengals are. Uh, finally, with a win on the board. So the the Browns out of division and out of conference schedule has been incredible. The Ravens out of conference. Out of division schedule has been incredibly difficult, and yet they've won all of those games with the exception of Kansas City. And in the meantime, they still have to go to Buffalo. So if they can get that win, which will be a very difficult game, scary game for, for the Ravens, especially coming off what they've just the call that they've just had to run of in three weeks, Houston, the Rams, and the Niners. That is no easy task. And they won all three. So the question is now, are they able to avoid a down week? Are they able to bounce back with a better performance on the offensive side of the ball? Two brilliant offensive performances in back-to-back weeks against Houston and against the Rams. Just complete games, offense, defense, specials. Yesterday was not a good performance offensively. It was not an easy day to play offense. It was a downpour the whole game. It was windy, tough to throw it. They ran it well, but it was clearly a, a game against a 10-1 football team that is a legitimate team. Are the Niners great? No, but they're really good. Excellent defense. 
big defense. They ran the ball on the Ravens, which is tough to do. And they ran outside the tackles, not inside, outside the tackles. So the key for the Ravens now is can they gather themselves coming off a huge win and get one more huge win? Because the Pats had KC coming to town. And if the Ravens could ever get themselves a one-game lead, not just the tiebreaker to give themselves a little cushion, they'd really be a great chip for the one seed. But that one seed is up for grabs. Yes, you want to stay healthy, but you still have to win games. And, again, what they showed yesterday is special teams, defense, timely offense, the ability to run the ball, and they have what no one else in the world has. They have the best kicker alive. Remember, he has not missed a fourth-quarter field goal kick, folks. 37 consecutive fourth-quarter field goals. 37. And when you play the kind of games the Ravens have played over the years, many close games, that is absolutely huge. They know they can rely on him. He's in their back pocket at all times. They have so much confidence in him, they didn't even try and improve their field position just to get him a little closer, which I thought they should have, considering the, you know, the circumstances and the conditions. It's tough kicking in that stuff. You know, the pouring rain and the wind. They not only didn't get him closer, they lost three yards. When Jackson went ran through something, I'm I'm like, what are you doing? You know, slide forward, my friend. Don't go back. Can you get him five yards to turn it into like a 43, 45 yard? Instead, they go backwards. And, you know, it it was an incredibly difficult kick. But, you know, for him, always the same result. He missed one kick this year, hit an upper. Missed the second extra point of his career, went over the top of the upper. He is as sure a thing as there is in the sport. And it's just amazing. Year in, year out, guys come and go. Oh, this one's the greatest uh, percentage kicker in their season. Oh, this one's the greatest. There is now only one. And with each year that passes, he continues to be the highest percentage kicker in the history of the sport. And he kicks a minimum of 11 of his games every season in the AFC North. Because you've got eight home Baltimore games, and you've got one in Cincinnati, and one in Pittsburgh, and one in Cleveland. So these are not easy places to kick. They are bad weather. They are not artificial surface. They are not inside. That, to me, just makes it all the more amazing. This is not Mort Anderson, you know, kicking in a dome in New Orleans. Uh, This is a guy who kicks in all kinds of weather, all kinds of elements, all kinds of conditions, you know, from 60 and in, and his career percentage success rate is 90%. It's, it, it, it is bordering on phenomenal. One of the most amazing players at his position in the history of the league. I don't say that because he's a Baltimore Raven. Am I a little subjective? Yes. But he has been doing it since he came out of Texas without missing a beat. I watched him kick 60-plus yard field goals at the end of games to tie games or win games. He is truly an amazing kicker. Absolutely amazing. And he is the ultimate weapon. They have no fear. No fear at all that he will make a kick from wherever, whenever, under any type of conditions when they need him to do so. And that is a huge factor to have working in your behalf when you see what's going on, especially now in the league, where guys are missing kicks constantly, where guys are missing extra points constantly. 
He is as sure a thing as there is in the sport. You've got a young quarterback surrounded by weapons on the offense, a stout defense, a coach that has complete faith in said quarterback, changed every mindset and ideology that he might have to completely focus on making sure the strengths of that quarterback are put forward. We're not going by the book that's been there for 100 years. We're not going by what you would think he should do. We're going by what works, what he wants to do, and what will give the team the opportunity to win, along with having the best kicker in the NFL at your disposal as well to keep that in the back of your mind while you're doing all the other fun stuff. It's a recipe that it's hard to put all that together. We don't often see it. When you do see it and it's successful, you can understand why it is once well, that time it's, comes. It's, it's, it's something we have seen and something we haven't seen. And we've never seen them all together in recent memory. What we've seen in days gone by, grounded pound football. Right? And we've seen electric quarterbacks. But we've never really seen them together where you put all your eggs and focus everything you're doing upon the skills and the athleticism of this quarterback. No matter what your plan was before, you've scrapped everything and you basically started anew. Some of the personnel has remained, but you've built around him and they took a risk to put all of their ammunition all of their mindset, all of their game plan behind this quarterback. In terms of everything they did, the draft this year, they drafted receivers for him. And they now have weapons, they have depth, and they have an offensive line that he can stay behind to throw, run behind. And right now, they are the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Right now is not the time for the Super Bowl. Right now, their goal is to continue winning, maintain home field, and the one seed, because despite the fact that they're not what they were, despite the fact that they struggled last night, despite the fact that he's taken a lot of heat, going to New England in the postseason and winning is still no easy task. And you much rather would have the road to the Super Bowl go through Baltimore than go through New England. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. We mentioned New England, who lost 28-22 at Houston on Sunday night football. Brady finishes with over 300 yards passing, but a lot of that was in what you would like to say garbage time. You know, the Houston Texans defense, after they built that lead, I think just shut off their switch. Like, we're good. They were giving up first downs on first and 30 and third and a mile, giving up these huge, huge plays. At the end of the game, James White just running. Running for his life. Nobody's around. Is he going to go out of bounds? No, nope, he doesn't need to. It was, it was just 
will play prevent defense but give up 60 yards for each play, which allowed the Patriots to get back into the game. An onside kick at the end could have gotten them the ball back, but by an eyelash, as they say, your boy Mike Francesa was a little worked up that had they recovered the onside kick, he could have returned it for a touchdown, not remembering that the defense can't return onside kicks for a touchdown. Mike Francesa, football aficionado for over 30 years, okay? But that's not the story, the onside kick. The Pats looked not like the Patriots. I've been waiting for, and I think many fans have been waiting for, the, the Patriots to play the game of relax, all right? We're the Patriots. I thought it was going to come against your Ravens. They lost. I thought it was going to come tonight against the Texans. They lost. Maybe it comes next week against the Chiefs. But there's a lot of eye-raising things that are happening now with the New England Patriots. You don't raise them all the way because we've seen what we thought were chinks in the armor with the Pats seemingly for 10 out of the last 20 years, and it hasn't mattered, and many of those have ended in Super Bowls. So the, are they done? Are they finished? Are they going to lose? They laugh at that stuff. Maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year. How many times have we said that? But maybe this is the year that you're starting to see some of that wear and tear to that armor. Tom Brady not necessarily trusting all of his wide receivers, really seemingly just only trusting Edelman, who's always been his guy, but there's been a couple other pieces here and there. Gronk's not coming back. Josh Gordon, AB, already walked through that door and walked out of it, so he doesn't have them for weapons. You're relying now on a rookie wide receiver, Dorsett, who he ripped to Josh McDaniels because he, he didn't run where he wanted him to on an audible call. Tight end who's been in the league for three decades, it feels like. It's first... I think Ben Watson is as old as I <laughs> the, You know, the running game is successful. Was Vince, what, did he go to Georgia? Was Vince Dooley his coach at Georgia? <laughs> it's been a long time. Did he go to Georgia? We'll have to check on that. The I think he didn't. He even played for Vince Dooley. The running game is still all right, and they can rely on that. But if you're in a game where now you force Tom Brady to have to throw, now you force the passing game to show you something. I know the numbers will back it up from last night, but I don't know if that's what you hope to rely on now. It's to the point now, and and Brady's always done a good job with this, but you're seeing it a lot more this year, just like you saw it a lot with Peyton Manning in his last year. Peyton's move when the pocket would collapse and there was any sign of trouble, he would just go down. Go down, down. take the sack, go down. Brady now just, he flips it to anywhere close to where a wide receiver might be. There's some pressure, he's got to scramble, he just, get rid of it. Get rid of the football, throw it out of bounds or throw it to where somebody's feet are. And you're seeing that more and more now, not because he can't move like he used to. He can still move a little bit. He's never been somebody to run around in the pocket crazy. But last night was one of the games where he just went, wow, maybe maybe this is the year. It, it finally starts to go the other direction. Well, I think next week will really give us a sense of where two AFC Super Bowl full-blown contenders are. Kansas City is playing well. Now, look, I'm, I'm not going to put a lot of stock in a win over the Raiders. 
I mean, the Raiders season went to hell in a handbasket a week ago when they went in, in, in a huge spot on a nice run and got obliterated by the New York Jets. I, I mean, you, you lose to the Jets by 30 points. I understand you're coming east, but 30 points, a 30-point loss, when you're battling for a playoff spot in the second half of the season and you lose to the Jets by 30 points, to me, that was the statement of what the Raiders are. And then they go into Kansas City and get mauled yesterday. So I, I don't want to put a ton of credit on the Chiefs' plate for, for beating up the Raiders because I don't think the Raiders are very good. But the Chiefs, as we talked about earlier, the Chiefs are healthy. Patrick Mahomes looks like he's just about back to 100%. Um, their defense is playing a little bit better. Starting to get, uh, I think, the hang of Steve Spagnuolo's system because you know, new coordinator, new systems, taking a while. Now, they, they could only get better. They couldn't have possibly get worse because that defense was abysmal last year. But Got some turnovers yesterday, some interceptions, short fields, a little easier for Patrick Mahomes to score, running game working well, didn't throw for a lot of yards, didn't have to. Easier way to win a football game when you don't have to throw for a ton of yards. If you don't have to throw for a ton of yards, that means you don't have to throw a ton. And if you don't have to throw a ton, that means your quarterback is less apt to be back throwing the football, less attempts, less chances to get hurt. That's a good thing. Good thing for the Chiefs. Um, they go into Foxborough to play the Pats in a mammoth game. Absolutely mammoth. As I said earlier, the Ravens would love to see, and I as a Raven fan, would love to see Kansas City win that game because the Ravens will go for the one seed as they go into Buffalo. But this will tell us, I think, a lot more now about exactly where the Pats are. They get their heads handed to them last night after they really don't play real well against Dallas, but win a game because Dallas can't score against the Pats' very good stout defense. How is that defense going to play against Kansas City's offense? How is the offense going to play against Kansas City's defense? At home, let's see what the weather's like. Mammoth game for both teams. And... I have no idea what's going to happen. Everybody, of course, and their mother is picking Kansas City for obvious reasons. Uh, they're playing better. This is the end of New England. Brady shot. He's 42 years old. You can't be an effective 42-year-old quarterback in the National Football League. Uh, I beg to differ. I think he can still be effective. Uh, he just hasn't been very good lately. But they haven't been very good lately. So it's a group effort. The same way it's a group effort when they win, it's a group effort when they lose. I don't give Brady all the credit when they win. I don't give them all the blame when they lose. And I'll have a much better feeling of what I think about these both te- both of these teams after next week. I just hope it's not one of those, you know, well, I mean, the elements. I mean, Kansas City should be able to play in the elements. They're Kansas City. So, you know, I don't want to hear that it was cold or it was snowing or you couldn't throw the ball. Uh, what I want to see is how are they going to play on the road, in a big spot, and how is New England going to play after they've been struggling against a really good team? Albeit they'll be at home, but they'll be playing against a team that is probably, personnel-wise, clearly superior on their offensive side of the ball. 
clearly inferior on the defensive side of the ball, but how will they play against a really good team that they are now battling home field with in regards to the two seed? Um, how will they play against them in a huge spot? Uh, to me, that's the most intriguing game of the coming weekend, without a doubt. Yeah, it's a show-me-something game for both teams. If you're the Chiefs, it's the show-me-something game to prove that Patrick Mahomes is completely healthy, that defense can be relied on somewhat. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to go overboard, but just somewhat. Make a play here and there and show us that for the people that, for whatever reason, have put the Chiefs on the back burner and have forgot about them, that, oh, no, they're still for real. Although they're 8-4, and four, they're going to be one of the toughest teams to beat in the AFC. And if it's the Patriots, show us something that you beating these garbage AFC East teams but losing to Deshaun Watson, losing to Lamar Jackson, and then potentially losing to Patrick Mahomes, show us this, that you're for real. Show us that Brady still has it. Show us that that defense is as good as it's been pegged to be. And go into Kansas City and get a win. It's a prove-me game for both teams. And it's, it has incredible implications for the seeding, as you mentioned. So I agree completely. That's the game of the week to watch. And it should be very exciting. We have to also, uh, unfortunately, say goodbye to the Cleveland Browns, our <laughs> pick to, uh, my pick to win the AFC North, your pick to get to the postseason, a must-win game against the Steelers, and they lose 20-13. to Shocked. Shocked. Jeez. I thought they would roll in this game. When they took an early 10-0 lead, I said, there you go. This game's going to be, you're going to blow them out. Didn't care that it was in Pittsburgh. I thought they'd win the game by double digits. I could not have been more wrong on two fronts. We discussed in the preseason the Browns at length. I picked them to be a wild card team. We knew their schedule wasn't easy. I had them at 10 wins. Wrong. I'd like to say it could not have been more wrong, but here's where I was even more wrong. We also discussed Freddie Kitchens. And I specifically remember saying to you on this program, as the older portion, the old decrepit senior guy, with all my experience, criticizing all those people claiming that their concern was Freddie Kitchens. Can Freddie Kitchens pull this off? Is Freddie Kitchens ready for this job? Freddie Kitchens is the question mark. Can he handle all his talent? Can he discipline these guys? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I said to you, partner, I am not worried about Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens was the offensive coordinator for this team last year. He knows this group. He'll know how to handle them. He'll be just fine. I could not have been more wrong. Every time Freddie Kitchens does something, he takes a step backwards. Further and further away from being a head coach in the National Football League. He will lose his job in the offseason, no doubt. He has done a, I want to be fair, a less than mediocre job. He's done, a, I think, a very poor job 
of coaching this team, of handling his personnel, of managing men to act like men instead of young flying off the handle goofballs instead of acting like boorish amateurs instead of pros. Now, a lot of pros act that way, but most of them are not winning pros. Winning pros handle themselves usually with class, with aplomb, and know how to behave on the field and off the field as a group. And this team has shown, in my mind, no ability to do that. They have a wealth of talent on both sides of the ball. Yes, their offensive line is the weak point of the team. But how do they not score more points with these weapons? Whether it's running it or throwing it. How does Beckham Jr. have, what's he got, three touchdowns? Six weeks in a row now, fewer than 100 yards receiving. How many touchdowns is Beckham? To go along with that. I think three. Three? How's he only have three touchdowns? How are we not getting him the ball more on wide receiver screens, slants, you know, straight fly patterns, just to air it out and stretch the defense and use his speed? I can never understand. I know this sounds simple-minded. If you have two mercurial wide receivers, why every once in a while, you just don't line one up on one side of the field, one up on the other side of the field, and send them both deep and run as fast and as far as they can go? Pick one, yeah. Pick one. Two touchdowns, by the way. We were too kind. You can't double cover them both. That doesn't leave anybody if you double cover them both. Split them both out wide on each side of the field and send them deep. Somebody's got to have solo coverage. They're both double covered. There's nobody left to cover a tight end or cover two tight ends or cover a back. So I just could never understand the concept of not using both of your wide receivers to your utmost. And Maybe it sounds like a, you know, a simple formula. Maybe I'm not X and O enough. Maybe the, that, that scheme is just too moronic. But I just don't think teams do enough to stretch the opponent's defense. They're so concerned with one play, one play, one play. I would use the play to set up another play. You know, you can air it out just to stretch defense once in a while with a minimal chance of completing it. What are the chances of completing a bomb anyway when you go deep? Usually minimal. I just don't understand why they don't do it more. And, and give my quarterback the choice on which side he wants to go. Read the coverage. See who's double. Go to the other guy. And I, I just can't fathom that Odell Beckham Jr. has two touchdowns. This electric player who can score from anywhere on the field, incredible speed. Is he not that good a route runner? Do, do, do we ever see replays of him calling for the ball, waving, wide open? No. There's a couple times during the season where it looks like Mayfield's gone to the wrong guy or he's missed him when he was open and they're throwing to him and missing. But it, why is he not more wide open? It, it, are they not designing the routes properly for him? He's not running the routes properly. Are the coverage is so good that they're taking him away and saying, go to Jarvis Landry and beat us, and we'll take our chances there because he's not going to beat us with the yak, that 
Odell Beckham Jr. Maybe that's it. Maybe defense is just saying, you know what? Throw to Landry as many times as you want. Even now, still, though, distinct, it can't be all the defenses. Can't be all the possibilities. One but of the still, times you're going to run into a catch. Why are you going down the field to back up more? Doesn't okay. make sense. No. Well, look, the Browns this year have not made sense. My pick for them to be a wild card team did not make sense. And as I said before, all the more me saying that Freddie Kitchens can handle this made no sense at all. So, <laughs> when I just when I thought I could not have been more wrong, I was. They're done. Stick a fork in them. It looked like they had an opportunity to rattle off more wins, three-game winning streak, get by Pittsburgh, get to six and six, right in the wild card hunt. Uh-uh. Season over. Done. Losing in Pittsburgh, blowing a 10-0 lead to the Duck Dynasty, a third-string quarterback. Amazing. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Well, speaking of done, we have a couple minutes to transition to the world of college football. And for the first time in college football playoff history, barring the biggest miracle that we've ever seen in sports, we will not have the Alabama Crimson Tide in the Final Four. Before we go any further, should we try and figure out a way that they can get back in? You know... Is there a way... How can they get back in? I was looking forward to how they were going to try and make it happen after their first loss. But when Tua went down, that kind of ended it in a sense, but then we talked about well, if the backup quarterback comes in and beats Auburn, now they're rolling. Now they've got a storyline of two is out. We're still good. We're Alabama. Now, I don't even think the Hollywood script writers would be able to figure out a way to get them in. Because even if you look at the conference championships, which are coming on Saturday, and if said teams lose, would they get out of the top four because of said loss? Here is their, here is their only chance. And I mean only chance. And even then, I don't think it can come to pass. Their only chance is obviously, it starts with LSU knocking off Georgia. Bye-bye, Georgia. I should, I should say it starts with Oregon knocking off Utah Friday night. The Pac-12, the Pac-12 uh, championship. Right. That leaves them with two losses. Leaves Utah with two losses. Conference champion has two losses. Bye-bye, Utah. LSU beats Georgia. Two losses. Bye-bye, Georgia. You'd be three undefeated. Baylor beats Oklahoma in an incredibly close game. Wins the Big 12 after losing to Oklahoma at home. So now your decision, I guess, is all these two lost teams, one of which won their conference in Oregon versus Baylor. 
Then that's your that's your one possibility for them to say, you know what? Of all these teams, even though they win their conference, Alabama's the best one. Well, you can help but your I, cause I too. If Clemson loses to Virginia, I think they're out of the top four. No question about it. Even with one loss. I don't think I don't think so. I think Dabo Sweeney has bitched long and hard enough for the committee to take into consideration that it'll be their first loss in two years. And Virginia is playing pretty well and just knocked off Virginia Tech. Yeah, they'll get so ranked, in, so that'll help. In, 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 in the incredibly unlikely scenario that they would lose, and I seriously doubt that they would lose, I still think all of the three teams with a loss in the conference championship are in. Because they're the three best teams. There's, there's a market space, place, distance between one, two, three, and the rest of the country right now. Well, the fun fact up till now, and these will change here and there as we continue on with the college football playoff, but the fun fact as far as conference championships go is no team that's ever lost its conference championship has made the top four. Interesting. Now, again, there's a couple and, more and folks, losses. When we say lost their conference championship, we don't mean didn't win their conference. Right. We mean played in the conference championship game. That and game lost. and lost. But there's a couple more losses getting thrown around this year to where arguments can be made should that happen. I think if, it's going to go... Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson all win those games. To be now, honest with you. It, it, let me ask you this, because to me this is an intriguing question. Let's say they all win, and I, I'm not going to say, you know, not in an incredibly convincing fashion. You know, Ohio State's already crushed Wisconsin. They'll probably crush them again, because we know Wisconsin's not very good. We know Georgia's really good. And Virginia's pretty good. So w- which game do we clearly expect to be the most competitive? The SEC title game, of course. Yeah, right. Because it has, it's, it's got a, it's got a, a top four team playing it. It's got you know, the two, two of the top four teams. So, of course, we would think it would be the most competitive game. And that would clearly be, if LSU were to win, the most impressive win of any of the big three. So if LSU wins that game, and I'm, I'm not saying 50 to 10, let's say they win it, you know, 28 to 24, or 28 to 21, or, or 35 to 28. Is that a big enough win coming off the second best team in the ACC, or the SEC, and the current four seed to vault them over Ohio State? When you look at the body of work, with wins at Alabama, over Auburn, a pounding of A&M, undefeated the SEC, and beating Georgia to finish off the SEC championship. I would be surprised if that wouldn't get them to number one. And I I think the committee, quietly, and we don't know this, but my thinking is they are looking at who don't we want to have to face Clemson because Clemson will probably win. Even though they're just three, who can we put it to that we won't feel bad about should that team lose? And it seems like last week when Ohio State jumped to one, they 
kind of said, all right, we're okay with this. But I don't know how you could be okay with it if LSU beats Georgia. Exactly. No offense to Ohio State. They've played great football. But they, they haven't been in a lot of close games. And but they haven't played. You know, they, they haven't played caliber of teams that LSU. No, has. I agree. I agree. Penn State. They beat Penn State. Okay. Well, they beat Penn State. You know, they, they turn the ball over. It's twenty four seventeen. The twenty one seventeen. They beat what twenty eight seventeen. We get screwed with. Um, or thirty one seventeen. Who did Penn State beat? Boston, Minnesota. Who did Penn State beat? There was any good. Michigan? How good is Michigan? Who'd Michigan be? Anybody? Who's the best winner on Michigan's schedule? At Ohio State. <laughs> okay. And, and again, thumped, pounded, obliterated Ohio State in their own building. LSU was taken on all comers from the SEC. Best conference in the land. They've won everywhere they've gone. They've been incredibly impressive. To me, if they beat Georgia, they deserve to be the number one seed in this tournament. Their body of work and what I've seen on the field shows me that they have been the best team from beginning to end. I guess against the best competition. Is their defense as good as Ohio State's? Uh, Maybe not. But, you know, I mean, I've watched Ohio State play a bunch of teams that are just not impressive. And is Ohio State's defense better? Maybe. But I think LSU's got the best offense in the country. And now their defense is back and healthy. So I think it's very close. But I would go one, LSU, two, Ohio State, three, Clemson, and... Uh, as I have said before on this show to you many times, I thought, assuming the Alabama win, when the dust settled, it was going to come down to Jalen Hurts versus Alabama. Now I think it's going to be Jalen Hurts because I think they will beat Baylor. I think that Oregon will beat Utah. And I think that LSU will beat Georgia. Now, the fun will be if Utah does, in fact, beat Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. And then you've got to decide between the Pac-12 and the Big 12. You've got to decide between one loss Utah, one loss Oklahoma. Oklahoma's best wins... Obviously, two wins over Baylor, uh, uh, wins over Oklahoma State. Uh, Texas, when people thought Texas, Texas was good. Texas, when Texas was good. Uh, they're only lost to a pretty good Kansas State team on the road, winning against a pretty good Iowa State team. And Utah, one loss to, I believe, USC. And their best win will obviously be Oregon. So, is that enough? You know, Utah plays 10 o'clock Saturday night. So, when you can see them play that often, how good is their offense? I honestly don't know. 
And it's tough when your best win comes or would come in the conference championship game. Right. But against a very good, I guess oh, yeah. an Oregon team that would be, if they only had the one loss to Auburn, would clearly be, in my mind, um, the if Oregon had one loss right now, I would have them ahead of George. And I would have no problem in the Pac-12 championship game then, should Georgia lose, giving it to the winner. If they both came in with one loss, absolutely. Oregon, absolutely. Utah, you could definitely swallow. All right, winner's in, finally, for the Pac-12. A- 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 absolutely. But, but I now think I, I, I think the Pac-12, it's different. I think, the back, I think the best team in the Pac-12 is Oregon. But that remains to be seen. Utah have a lot to say about that Friday night. And if it comes down to Utah and Oklahoma with one loss, if George, in fact, does lose to LSU, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I do not know what they're going to do. I mean, obviously, Oklahoma's got the name. Oklahoma's got Jalen Hurts. Oklahoma's got the national feeling. Utah's the Pac-12. They'll have the win over Oregon. It will be very tight. I think Oklahoma has to handle Baylor this time. And then they can say, you know, we were on the road when we played them. Difficult circumstances. We fell down early, but we, we brought ourselves together, and look what happened. Now, if they win this game 38 to 10, and it's never in doubt, the touchdown comes late in the fourth quarter for Baylor, they can say, see, we're here. I think that's see, important. See, what's going to make this game interesting is that's even more so for Baylor. For Baylor to have any chance, they have to, they have to whoop up on Oklahoma. Absolutely. Or else they, I mean, they win by a field goal. That's not going to be enough. And I think Utah has to do the same to Oregon. As good as their defense is, it can't be 9-6 headed into the game's final drive and they score a touchdown or they score a field goal, win 12-6 or 14-10. The offense is going to have to do something exciting. Do you give Georgia a legitimate chance? And not the fame puncher's chance, because everybody's got a puncher's chance. I should say everybody. We give, I assume we both give Wisconsin no chance. Yeah, I, I wouldn't give them a shot. Sad. Right? Sorry, Badgers. No. I mean, the, the only way that win that game is if, you know, it, it would have to be a fix to win that game. Well, I know, Ohio that. State would have to have, like, the Penn State the performance where they, they fumble and they're They'd kicking the ball the around. They'd have to play... I think. Wisconsin can never stop them. So Ohio State would literally have to stop themselves. Or Wisconsin would just have to use one of the best running backs in the country and just have 10, 12-minute drives, run the ball down their throat, and not give them an opportunity to get the ball. Time of possession would would be skewed. I would say we probably both collectively give uh, Ohio State a 95% chance of winning. Yeah, I would say that. That's fair. What kind of a chance do you give Georgia? Uh, I love Jake from. He was on Netflix for QB1 or whatever their show is called. Great family. Down-to-earth guy. Somebody you want leading your team. But to win that game, 
against LSU, who is rolling. Uh, I, I guess chance-wise, I would say they have... 25, 30%? I'd say 40. Be a little bit 40. more generous. 40%. Okay. 40%. Because you never know in these the- SEC games. You know, a pass hits a helmet and gets intercepted. Who knows what remember crazy things can happen. one of their best wide receivers now is out for the first half of that game. True. Also. Very true. Very so let's true. keep that in mind. I, I don't think they're going to win, but to be generous because it's an SEC game and you never know, I'd say 40. But I think I give them about a 25, 30% chance. Yeah, that's fair. That's it. We play the games. We'll see what happens. We told you who we think our one through three and probably four will be, which means fade accordingly, folks. We're not giving you winners anymore, but you know the drill. Watch on Saturday and Friday night and just watch the world burn based off what we had to say about it. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, remember, it starts Friday night. That's your Pac-12 title game. Utah and Phil Knight's Ducks, okay, playing uh, where the Niners play, right, in that quasi-new building in Levi Strauss Field, um, I think has a chance to be the most intriguing game of the college football weekend. Enjoy that, along with your NFL and the rest of the conference championship games. Until next we meet for the big man, my partner, the great John Tiny Lund. I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Alp and White Plants. Have a great sports week. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.